Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski. How are you today, John? Hey, Jim. I'm uh, doing better because I had uh, 10 minutes talking with my good friend. Uh, and I, I know that sounds uh, like a broken record, but I mean it. <laughs> And uh, I'm doing better because we had a chance to chat this morning. Yeah, same here. It's funny. Uh, maybe this is true. Maybe this is certainly off topic either way. But I, the older I get, the more I need friends that are my age, that understand. Yeah. I, I, you yeah. know, when I was young, it didn't matter just as long as we were having fun and we were killing a deer or catching a fish or, you know, now it's like, no, I need, I need people who have raised kids and have been a grandparent for a while to teach me. I need, I need people who understand what life is like in, in your late fifties, early sixties, because if I don't have that, I, I'm not going to get that advice from a 20 year old. I'll get a lot of enthusiasm and fun. So I, I guess like wine and cheese are, our friendships getting better with age, John, yes, <laughs> that might I sound so. whiny, whiny or cheesy, but you know what, you don't even buy it. So why don't you introduce yeah. us to our topic today? I'm excited about this one. I'm not all of them, but this one is near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So Jim, for the next two weeks, we're going to turn the mic around and interview you. Uh, on, a, on a subject that really builds on our last episode uh, yeah. 213 of the leadership shortage yeah. and what we can do about it. And um, you uh, shared some material with me, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. Yeah. And, I, and I was so excited about it. I thought it, it's a nice follow up. The next two weeks would be a nice follow up to what we had talked about because yeah. we're very concerned about the the t- I hate to say talent shortage because that doesn't sound right, but yeah. the the leadership the leadership shortage uh, the apparently that we we have observed and so we've wanted to talk <clears throat> about this because we felt it's such a critical subject and so Jim I'm going to ask you to to introduce the the subject uh, for today and I'm going to try to do my best to put your shoes on today and interview you. Well, this will be hard for both of us. We will enjoy our, yes, will. Uh, our discomfort with this for the next 25 minutes. Yeah, so what we're talking about today, and I'll just read it, is, is engaging and incorporating the next generation of leaders. We talk about the uh, the shortage, but there really, I don't think there is a shortage. I think maybe if there's a shortage, there's a shortage of people willing to make that that jump, that commitment, that, yeah. that engagement. I, everybody's fine playing drums on the worship band or they're they're happy to volunteer once a month you know as being a greeter but there are people who are vocationally called to ministry right. and i and i i think i think many of them are looking at ministry as too difficult and so the conversation today and next week is going to be about helping my, our generation and the generations just beneath us really engage that that 16 through 30 35 year old person that goes yeah. I, I i think i'm supposed to do this but man it's hard and, and helping us help them to, to find their way. Yeah, awesome. So Jim, in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the content today, you talk about uh, five different generations yeah. in our churches that look at life or who can look at life a lot differently. Um, can you walk us through those real quick? Yeah. Uh, give us a, an overview of that. So the, the, the builder or the silent generation, and that would be those who are born from 1925 to 1945. So... They grew up in the Depression. That was formative for them. Uh, World War II would have been something that was formative for them. Their parents, their families, their communities would have been through World War I. The Spanish flu, 
uh, known as the greatest generation, the silent generation, the builder generation. Second one is the baby boomers. The guys came home from war and decided to have a family. So 1946 to 1964, their, their formative years would have been spent getting ready for, I guess, the Cold War, Cuban Missile Crisis, the Bay of Pigs. Um, yeah. You know, what well, we were probably 63, we've got civil rights with uh, Martin Luther King in August of 63. So uh, a tumultuous time, followed by the baby boomers, uh, I'm sorry, followed by the baby busters or Gen X, 1965, all the way through 1980. We've got Vietnam, race relations, uh, Watergate. Um, we've got the the problems with the kind of the media is beginning to become very biased in a sense, politically and socially. Uh, we've got all sorts of protests. We've got the Kent State shootings. We've got yeah. it's we've got the race riots in Detroit and other places, Chicago, the Watts riots, uh, the stock market. The introduction of cocaine and crack cocaine into the mainstream and probably the most destructive force of all to a person from Detroit. And that is disco music. Probably one of the worst, one of the worst genres in my, in my, my mind, although I was led to Jesus by a man wearing spandex pants. So that God can use anything. That's just living proof of, of that. Right. So, and then after the 1980s, we get or 1980, we get the millennials 1981 through 2000. So this would be kids, the Gulf Wars, uh, Y2K, you know, the world is going to yeah. go back to the 19 or the 1800s, the World Trade Center, internet, video games, uh, the beginning of smartphones, personal computers, where, where the world is getting smaller uh, because I can get online as a high school student and I can type. And someone on the opposite side of the world who's also connected to the World Wide Web can now respond to me. Uh, and then Gen Z, we've got 2000 to 2020. So that's 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 all of that. Smartphones, especially um, COVID, gender, race, uh, uh, politics, anxiety, depression. Uh, so yes. all of these, all of these would, would have had the former sociologists tell us between the ages of five and 20, a, a lot of character and a lot of characteristics are formed in the human mind, the human brain, the human soul, the human condition. So if you're raised during World War II, and in want and in need and your parents survived the great depression obviously that frames we all know somebody that doesn't put money in the bank it's underneath the pillow buried in a jar in the backyard under the chicken coop um, that never threw away a thing that can't throw away food that that keeps they have a garage full of useless things that'll be thrown away once they die but that that's because they were formed in that time and we all know kind of the most recent one where the kids now that that phone is their life support system this is their social network this is their their friendships this is the way they went to school for two years so mm -hmm. those are formative things that carry on throughout the rest of a person's life and bring, I, I think the, the point of all of that is to say it brings a real difference of perspective. My perspective at 58 years old is very different than someone who's 18 years old. There's 40 yeah. years difference between those two. And so I say, I say work and I mean one thing, they mean another. They say friendship. Mm -hmm. They mean one thing, I mean another. So yeah. as, as our generation is looking at, as the allied juz, looking at a generation of Elisha's, we have to speak their language. We have to yeah. understand what they're really wrestling with, the questions, concerns. Otherwise, we conclude dumb things, like, like they're lazy. I, I love this quote. I believe I have it here. Uh, who, who said this? Uh, oh, I, I have it in the notes. So yeah, who said this? This, this is, let's see if we can guess who, who said these words. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, they show disrespect for all elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Anybody know who, who said that? Sounds like Stock, the Muppet. 
Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the Muppets, <laughs> the old guys in the Muppet theater, right? Yes. Well, like you and I, yeah. yeah that's, that, and Socrates said that. Over 2,000 years ago, the older yeah. generation looked at the younger generation and said, you don't have what our generation had. And I, and I mm. think this has become, this is, we, we can almost say this is universal. I remember my son, JD, yeah. who's been on this podcast saying, Dad, was there ever a generation that hated the generation after them as much as your generation hates my generation? I said, whoa, what do you, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, all millennials are lazy. All Gen Xers are this, all, you know. And I said, well, let, me, let me give you an example. My, my grandfather and great-grandfather were in the World Wars. You know, my, my grandfather came home and raised kids who avoided the draft by, by going to Canada and didn't fight in the Vietnam War. Do you think they might have had some issues? The guy that spent four years in Asia fighting the Japanese and the kid that won't spend, won't go to ROTC because it's a whatever. And he, he runs, I mean, long hair and free sex. And I, 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 this is not, what you said is not true. And certainly this is not the first generation that has been misunderstood by the previous generation. Right. And, and so Jim, how does that impact leadership and responding to the call of God to a vocational ministry. How, how, help me understand that part of it, because I think I think what you shared there is is so true. One of our good friends uh, has told us uh, that every generation needs to kind of get over itself, you know, like yeah. in, in, a, in a sense. Um, yeah. But how does that how does that understanding that uh, an eighteen year old looks at life so much differently yeah. than somebody our age does? How does that impact? <clears throat> Calling. How does that impact? What can, what can we take from that yeah, and learn yeah. and use uh, to address this this unwillingness? Maybe we said I said shortage, but maybe it's more of an unwillingness yeah. or misunderstanding to respond to all of that. I think there's misunderstandings, and, and let's start with our generation. When when we say, "Well, hey, we made twelve thousand dollars a year and didn't have a new car, to live without health insurance." And, lived a, and, and slept in a, in a really small home that we could afford. Look at the sacrifice we made. Well, understand this generation has healthcare costs that we never mm -hmm. had to face. And, it, and right. for a season, it's illegal not to have healthcare. You'll be fined money if you don't have the money to buy healthcare. Um, automobile expenses, just in the last few years, my, my automobile expenses went up 30% from one lease to the next lease over, over a three and a half year period. Um, housing. And interest rates. The yeah. house that I moved into on, on a twelve thousand dollar a year salary, it would take twelve thousand dollars. It would take more than twelve thousand dollars a year to make a payment on that seven hundred and eighty square foot home. Now, you say, well, that dollars are worth, and people get made the, the the cost of cell phone, the cost of a computer, the cost of internet, the cost of entertainment. The cost, everything has gone through the roof. So to say, you know, I made it, and you're lazy if you don't. I think is a misunderstanding. I really think. think fundamentally the challenge that this generation faces is different so our generation says you got to go to college and get a degree they go to college to get a degree they owe forty thousand dollars let's say to a hundred thousand dollars in student loans because we said a college education is so important then they get out and they want to be a youth pastor they, they can't yeah. afford to make the student loan payments on what we pay youth pastors now we used to pay youth pastors that much money and they could make a living because costs were different but my generation gets really resentful when a younger generation says I need $70,000 a year, health benefits, three weeks off. I, I, I need a computer that from the work pays for it. I need that. We go, what? we don't have any of it. Well, a couple of things. We didn't need any of that. Right. And we were, our one generation considers the other to do something very expensive to make them qualified. So I, 
I, I think I think our generation has to understand that just because they're not us doesn't mean they're not us. They have the same yeah. calling we do, but we've raised we, we've made it so hard for someone to be a vocational and entry level vocational minister in America today. It's a really tough gig. I think the other yeah. thing that people have to understand as well is is it's just it used, it used to be respected because your first name was Reverend. But yeah. how many how many pastors listening now when you're sitting on an airplane and someone says, "What do you do for a living?" are a little concerned to say I'm a pastor. I'm we a went public from speaker. <laughs> yeah, I'm a public speaker. I'm an author. Right. I say I'm an author. So they say, what kind of books do you write? Then I can talk about Jesus. I say I'm a pastor. Right. And they go, oh, and they put their headphones on. Or they say, I don't believe in God. Or, you know, it just, it, we went from respected in our culture to suspected. You know, how many people yeah. want to be a televangelist? When I was a kid, people wanted to be a televangelist. That was like, if you're really good at being really good at being really good, you could be on TV. And I was like, oh, all those people on TV on the radio, you know, in, in a local pulpit, we went from respected to suspect. So I think, I think that's another thing is how can I be in ministry without being a pastor has become a, a relevant question. I can't afford to be one and society doesn't honor that, that sacrifice. So right. that makes it harder to step in. doesn't make it impossible. doesn't mean you don't have a calling, but, but our generation has to understand the challenges that generation is facing. Instead of saying, okay. well, when I was your age, I slept on army cots in the back room of the church. And, you know, walked uphill both ways in the snow to the bus stop. Like that's, stop doing that. That's not helpful. So Jim, in, in the notes that you sent to me, you said that the older generation, us older guys, have to believe and invest in yes. the younger generation. Crucial. Can you talk about, about that? Uh, how, yeah. how does that move the needle? Yeah, the solution to the problem, it's not a new problem, and there's not a new solution. Uh, Elijah needs an Elijah to believe in him to call right. him, to wrap his, his mantle around him and say, follow me. Um, Timothy, Titus, you know, they still need a Paul. It's, it's, it's uh, Joshua still needs a Moses. There, there is absolutely nothing new in that. If, if we think back in our time, again, in our fifties, and I know everybody listening to this is in their fifties and sixties, but th those who are, remember the time that someone invited you to speak for the first time because they saw you, they believed yeah. in you. They, they knew who you were before you probably knew who you were. And they became your mentor or your tormentor. They became the person who reminded you of your calling, you know, encouraged you and so forth. And so I, I really believe like we, oh, I want to say this the right way. It's, it's a corrective word, but I'm not angry about anything, but I am passionate about this. So it sounds like I'm, I'm yelling at my generation. I'm not, but please stop being gatekeepers and start being fathers and mothers Please stop waiting for someone to be as qualified as you are, or you believe you once were, before you let people do what they're created to do. Uh, yeah. People let you do poorly what you now do well. And it's That's your right. turn. It's your turn. That's so right. To, to let people do poorly on Sunday morning in front of God, their mama, and everybody, what you can do like ringing a bell. But, but, your first sermon was not your best sermon. Your first song you led was not your best song you ever led. Your, your first, you know, uh, closing an altar call. It was awful. We all know that. You had 12 pages of notes and you were done in four minutes. Just, just like everybody else. But someone yeah. gave you an opportunity to do it more than once. Because of that, a proficiency grew. So don't, don't be the gatekeeper of perfection. Be the father that understands opportunity. Will, will create that repetition will create that and they need an atmosphere or when you're gone your church closes and becomes a restaurant that those are two choices either get sons and daughters or or, or put a put a commercial kitchen where the altar is because that's what's going to happen to your building someday is it'll be done 
And it won't be that generation's fault that your church is now a restaurant. It'll be yours. So okay. did, was that too mean? Was that too mean? Was no. that too passionate? Okay. No, I, I appreciate the passion. Um, you know, Jim, I, I'll never forget the people in my life early on that let me do things I wasn't ready to do. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget them. They, yeah. they absolutely made an indelible imprint in, yeah. on my life. They were a huge part of responding to the call of God on my life because they, they saw calling on me before I saw calling on me. And, um, and I think, boy, you, you took a, a risk putting me up in front of people. Yeah. That, that was super risky. A lot of things could have gone wrong there. And, <laughs> um, and yet they did that. And so I'm so grateful for the people in my life who did that for me. I want to do that. Uh, yeah. And with whatever I have left, you know, in terms of life and, yes. and, and, and usefulness, I yeah. want to do the same thing. Um, Jim, one of the uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is to hear from younger leaders themselves. Yes. You know, about this subject. And uh, we <laughs> uh, we uh, had uh, polled you had polled some younger leaders yeah. Yeah. Uh, and asked some good questions. Uh, and. Uh, we're going to take one because we're bumping up against time here okay. and let's, yeah. we'll push the other two. We'll push the other two into two fifteen, episode two fifteen. But here's one of the questions that you, that was posed to younger leaders. And I'd love you just to kind of give me some of their feedback and then some of your thoughts around this first question. Here we go. Um, uh, what, and so here's the overarching question. And there were three answers to this question. We're going to take one answer yeah. uh, and then we'll wrap up what would you say to pastors who want to engage and enlist a younger generation yeah What's the first answer jim that, that yeah so I, I gave this to probably two dozen ish people in somewhere in their 40s but but they work directly with people in their 20s and teens so that's how okay. the 40 year olds got in there everybody else is between 15 years old and and 39 years old and this is the number okay. this is this is the synopsis of the answer to that question. The first one was church growth is not as important as relational connection to this generation of leaders. The, mm. the thing they prize and value the most is, is not, is not how large how the large church is, but how deep the relationships are. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I actually had a church planter say this. I, I said, so what is your church going to look like? He was a young man, probably late twenties, early thirties. What's your church going to close your eyes and, and help me understand what you're wanting to do, what God's put in your heart. He said, and he said this, I don't know what my church will look like. I only know what it will not look like. It will not look like what has become normal. I don't want smoke machines, Krispy Kremes, and skinny jeans. <laughs> I want community and depth, not numbers and a show. This, this last statement's huge. I am so tired of the Coldplay concert followed by the TED Talk. Mm. That, that, and that's an um, indictment, by the way, that, that is okay. a, so, but my generation can say, well, you snot nosed little brat. You have no, like I had to transition this from suits and ties to hymns and pipe organs and, you know, three hour long Pentecostal marathons. And now you come in saying it's not, it's not what you built. Like, or we can say, well, you need to know more than what your church doesn't look like. You need to know what it looks like. And if you can tell me what it looks like, you can count me in. I'll help you build it. I won't lead it because I'm not qualified to lead it. I'm an old guy, 
But if you can define for me what it is, where it is, what it does, what it doesn't do, I'm in. And so back to that thought, like be, this generation isn't really, I need, a, I need a youth pastor. Well, what do you want? I need people that can really make a large youth group and really connect all of our families. Like, you're just turning off a generation that is so tired of being used like a factory worker building a car for a profit that they don't receive, that they're about to unionize. I mean, they, so many youth pastors I know, they're like, I, I wonderful. These would be people at the end of their youth pastor journey and the beginning of their next phase of life. All of them, not one, not 5%, 100% of them are so tired of, I'll quote one, being pimped out for their wow. virtues to, to for, the, for the gain of somebody and what they value, but not in what the youth pastor values. So all yeah. more numbers, events, numbers, numbers, numbers. What was your number? How many did you have? Not, in other words, they don't care about the base of the pyramid that's being built in discipleship. They care about the height of the pyramid, how many right. people showed up. And they're just tired of working on the treadmill to achieve a goal that they don't even value. So to say to a young person, I want you to build deep, lasting, disciple-making, nation-changing, risk-taking, earth-shaking, Holy Ghost troublemaking relationships with teenagers, they'll say yes to that. If you say, I want yeah. more and more and more, because people that tithe here have families and they'll go to another church that has a better youth program. Like they're done with that. They don't want to give their life to something they don't value. They value deep relationships. Um, yeah. Another young lady, she said, younger generations hold much more to the idea of you'll know them by their fruit, but automatically showing respect due to one's age. Respect is mutual and it's earned. It's not freely given. And the man who disciples a lot of young people in our church says, they're not as hungry for amazing results as they are for true, deep relationship with God and with you. They want to be mentored. They want a friend. They, they want a disciple making relationship and they want to be released to do that very thing. So, you know, Jim, hasn't it always been that way? If you go back to the gospel. Yes. That is relational. Yes. Yes. That Jesus modeled that for us so beautifully. Yeah. And, and, and so consistently. And um, so you, you said earlier, the solution isn't new. No, it really, it really isn't. It's, it's coming back to this, this idea of a uh, discipler, disciplee, father, son, mother, daughter, uh, the, the relational piece of this. And, yeah. and so I would, I would just say this as a thought that, God is, if you're a pastor, God has called you into the people business. Yeah, good. He has called you into the people business. He's called us into the people business. Yeah. And um, all of us have a variety or a different skill set around relationships. Um, and uh, I've heard uh, some pastors say, well, I'm a very shy uh, person and I, I I'm five on the Enneagram and I, you know, I, I like being by myself and I understand yeah. that I'm a five on the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> but just because you're a five on the Enneagram, you still have a calling that's extroverted. You have yeah. an extroverted calling. And so, yeah, it might be harder for you if you're shy uh, to, to work on this piece, the relational connection piece uh but just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't work on it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, 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 I am a person who understands the energy it requires to do that. If you are a shy person, to be extroverted, it requires a lot out of you. I get that. 
uh, we have to have strategies for filling the tank back up, you know, if, if that's yeah. somewhat draining for us. But look, if you're a pastor, you are uh, you are called to not only your congregation, you're called to your team. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. You're called to care for your team and to help them develop and grow. So, Jim, thanks for this. Yeah. I I'd love for us to pick this up in two fifteen. Yeah. Uh, and, and keep talking about this. Uh, I'm excited about uh, these other two answers uh, yeah. that were given to uh, uh, these other answers that were given to you uh, yeah. to this question. You know, what would you say to a pastor who wants to engage and enlist a younger generation? So, we hope that uh, today has been a blessing to you. We uh, first of all, we just want to say thanks for watching listening uh for for giving us you know 30 minutes of your day uh, yeah. to to talk and to share and to wrap together if uh you're listening or watching today and you'd like to explore this idea with us further you can go to convergecoach.com and click on the contact us link and that gives you access to one of our teammates for 30 minutes uh for free and maybe a 30-minute call is, is what the doctor ordered and you won't need any more time. But maybe you will need some more time with us. And we want to be here to serve you, to help you. You know, it's always our, our heart that when you get done listening to one of these episodes, that you have some uh, encouragement, some maybe a little bit of a, a challenge in front of you, but also some yeah. practical things that you can you can do uh, to move the ball down the field. So thank you for being with us today. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We're cheering for you as you continue to lead from alignment.